0: Hello everyone, I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlan, and this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older folks howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older.
1: So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee,
0: pull up a chair, and join us. After the old dogs ramble, we'll report on the student loan from hell. We'll discuss the merits of retiring on a cruise ship. We'll tell you about a lawsuit over a $30,000 purse. Together, we'll discover the world's worst smell. And finally, we'll introduce you to a new Old Dogs feature, Dog Good Advice, with Texas State financial guru Bob Elder. The Old Dogs conversation is with Jackie Witt, a tour guide who may have made a very important discovery in Peru. Stay with us. All right, Paul, what's on your
1: mind? Well, you know, I do go to strange and wonderful places when I'm
0: wandering. Yeah, this office is one of them.
1: Uh-huh. And uh, we, have a, we have a pod nugget in today's episode about people retiring to cruise ships. Yes, we do. And, and that started me thinking, hmm, I'd never figured that that would be a retirement option. I don't know if I could stand being on a ship
0: that long. You got thoughts? Uh, Yeah, I don't know if I could stand you being on a ship that long either. (laughs) Especially if we got. I didn't invite you. We got a podcast to do here. Ah, Oh, okay. Uh, I imagine there are lots of people out there who would, if they knew about it, would like to consider that option. I hadn't thought about it. But, um, you know, I don't like to travel. Uh, because I don't like the hassle of traveling, but that would be a wonderful way to do it. I guess for a certain amount of time, you would not necessarily have to pack and unpack all the time as you would on a regular excursion. Right, and you could see a lot of places. Uh, and uh, I love being on the the ocean, uh, so that those are positive things for me.
1: Except you don't really go on cruise ships, do you? You love the ocean, but you don't love being on the ocean. Well, I love the shore.
0: Ah, okay. Yeah, you probably. got I love to, to watch those ships go by. Got a couple of bowls of shells in your home. Yeah, I but would still, imagine. you know the the feeling of being a part of seeing the world without all of the the effort.
1: Well, yeah, and I get that. I uh, what I guess I I would miss is you lose contact with your family.
0: Well, you've got Skype. Well, that's true, but not the same. No, you can't hug Skype.
1: Um, and to longstanding friends, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you and I get together regularly. I, uh, you know, I don't think you're going to be flying out to the ship and <laughs> having coffee with me. But, well,
0: depends on how much it's worth to you.
1: Yeah, uh, I get it. Uh, and I don't know. You know, you're one of a few people that are staying on the ship right. for an extended period of time. Yeah, so you've got yeah. new people coming and going, and it's like you're in a neighborhood in which— Everybody is moving except you.
0: Well, you would probably have some regulars, and you might get tired of them, especially if you don't relate to them that much. I I can see that. But you seem to have a lot of downside. Are there any upsides in your mind about doing that sort of extended travel as a retirement option?
1: Well, you know, I, I can see how you don't have to worry about cooking. Yeah. You don't have to worry about packing and unpacking. Uh, There is some level of entertainment uh, going on all the time, although that may get a little tedious after a while.
0: Or or immediately.
1: (laughs) Yes. And, you know, uh, how many times can you eat uh, midnight pizza before you're going, oh, man, i got to quit eating late-night pizza?
0: Well, I don't know this firsthand, but I believe you do. But don't they serve like six or seven meals a day?
1: Food is always available. Yeah.
0: Yes. So, I mean, I don't think that they – I would so much – Walk off the ship as perhaps roll down the gangplank.
1: We all know lenders want to make sure you don't forget your student loan. But there are reminders, and then there are too many reminders. This pod nugget is from the Houston Chronicle for February 4th, 2020.
0: An Ohio man was working in his office when the mailman arrived. The postal worker told him that his mail wouldn't fit through the front door. So the man drove his truck around to the back of his building to help unload his mail.
1: Well, he unloaded 79 bins of letters into the guy's truck. You know, the size of a U.S. mail bin. It's about half a bushel. In the bins were 55,000 duplicate
0: statements addressed to him by his student loan lender. Officials from College Avenue Student Loans apologized for the error and promised to put corrective measures in place to prevent it from happening in the future. The sad part is that the postage on the mountain of letters would have put a serious dent in his student debt. Yeah. You know, it's weird that they didn't notice that they were sending out 55 billion tons of mail. At least the guy that licked the envelopes. <laughs> If you like taking cruises, maybe you thought it would be nice to stay on a cruise all year long. Well, apparently, some people have decided to retire on a cruise ship. This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for January 23, 2020. According to the Cruise Line
1: International Association, one-third of the 28.5 million who took a cruise in 2018 were 60 or older. So there are plenty of
0: candidates for retiring on a cruise ship, They just may not know how to go about it. Most cruise lines said they did not have any current full-time residents or they don't keep track of them. But one line was built for long-term cruisers. The World Residencies at Sea bills itself as the largest privately owned residential yacht on Earth. The ship has 165 units and an average resident age of 66. Other lines are planning a similar operation. Financial
1: planner Rick Haller suggests careful research before making a commitment to long-term cruise living. It's not cheap. You can spend between $4,000 to $10,000 a month. Ah, but that doesn't include everything. And there is a lot of
0: support for older people on a cruise ship. Critics say that ships are not really set up as a retirement community. They lack the medical facilities, banking options, and other long-term amenities. Also, while on a ship, you're cut off from your family and long-term relationships. After a while, the lack of entertainment options could become boring. Lee Lindquist, chief of geriatrics at Northwestern Memorial Hospital,
1: suggests this profile for a cruise retirement. Candidates should have some mobility, no cognitive issues, and be able to handle their own medications. And let me add, they should really, really like cruise ships. And walking around in circles. Shuffleboard, too, I would guess. Mm -hmm. A waiter spilled red wine on a lady's handbag at a posh New Jersey country club. Now, normally the country club would replace the bag and everyone would be happy. Except this bag was worth $30,000, and now no one is happy. This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for November 12, 2019.
0: The handbag was a pink Hermes Kelly clutch, given by the lady's husband as a 30th birthday present. The gold-accented bags, named after Grace Kelly, are a sought-after luxury item because of their price and scarcity. The result has been a year-long legal battle between the lady and the country club. To
1: complicate matters, the country club has sued the waiter who spilled the wine. Now, I'm not sure what the country club hoped to recover from the waiter, but the tips can't be that good. (laughs) Meanwhile, the attorney for the lady claimed the country club was discriminating
0: against the rich. In his words, it's sort of like a rich person's problem. They couldn't comprehend that a bag could be that much. They kind of discriminated against her that she actually owned that type of bag. Well, whatever the results of the lawsuit, I doubt if it will generate much sympathy for either side. So what is the world's worst smell? You know, Paul... That's a question that I think nobody is asking. (laughs) Uh, Right, and they
1: certainly don't want to smell the answer, huh? The New York Times for February 17th, 2020,
0: attempted to answer this odoriferous query. In 1998... Pamela Dalton, a psychologist with the Monell Chemical Senses Center, was asked to develop the stinkiest odor for the Departments of Defense. This was more difficult than it seems because people from different cultures disagreed on what was good or bad. For example, the smell of garlic makes some people sick and others hungry. The best, or rather worst, odor that Dr. Dalton
1: found was called the U.S. government standard bathroom malodor. This stench was designed to mimic the scent of military field latrines in order to test cleaning products. Dalton chose this fragrance in liquid form as the base for her stink bomb recipe. She called the final product stench
0: soup. And who said research dollars are never misspent? Honestly, we are not making this up. Mary Roach, a science writer, actually smelled stench soup as part of her research for a book called Grunt, The Curious Science of Humans at War. She described the aroma as Satan on a throne of rotting onions. (laughs) You know, Jim, if the
1: Department of Defense needed bad odors, they could have come to my house. Things like last year's old onion dip have a way of hiding in the back reaches of my refrigerator. Now that's an odor. That's scary. Bob Elder is the Director of Communications and Investor Education for the Texas State Securities Board. Bob will join us from time to time to warn about common investor scams.
2: The first uh, thing I'll be talking about is unregistered individuals in the investment world. People simply don't recognize that an individual cannot just start offering investments from a storefront or on a website or through social media. They cannot do that unless they are registered with the Texas State Securities Board, and registration requirements are stiff. It involves qualifications testing, background checks, and once they do get registered, they're subject to periodic compliance reviews. Dealing with an unregistered individual uh, who is offering investment advice or selling investments uh, can really hurt someone's financial future the vast majority of the criminal prosecutions our agency undertakes involve unregistered investment promoters. If you buy an investment from someone who is not registered, you are likely putting your money right into a fraud. The good news is it's easy to check if an individual or a firm is registered with the State Securities Board. On our website, simply go to registration checks. Our website address is ssb.texas.gov. A A registration check will give you uh, a lot of the publicly available information on an investment advisor or broker. It'll tell you any disciplinary actions the person or firm has had, civil judgments, arbitrations, customer complaints, any outstanding tax liens, and the employment history of the individual. You know, a person may have all the trust in the world in an investment advisor or broker, maybe because he or she came with a high recommendation from a family member or a friend or someone in church. That's a common way people get introduced to investment advisors and brokers. But a relationship with a financial professional is going to be one of the most important relationships in your life. It's important to check all the information that's available from state regulators and see if there are any red flags that might steer you away from doing business with that person.
0: Once more, that website is www.ssb.texas.gov. The website contains informative publications, including the 2020 edition of the Texas Investor Guide. This handy guide covers strategies for investing wisely. Jackie Witt is a lady who has always had a yen to travel. She got her chance early in life, and it developed into a full-fledged passion. Now she leads trips down to South America, where in the past couple of years, she has stumbled on what might be literally a monumental discovery. Well, we're just fascinated by what got you into this sort of adventure travel business. Just tell us a little bit about that.
3: Okay, well, I'm going to go back to 1973 for a quick minute.
0: Now, we're not, we're not going to go month by month, right? <laughs> no, <You> know, no. <laughs> that's
1: okay. We have flashbacks quite often, too, Jackie. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're with yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, so in
3: 1973, I was in high school, and I was a Girl Scout. And um, I went to a meeting one day, and they passed out these flyers, Travel to Moscow, and Russia during the Cold War, you know, hmm. and I ran home with this flyer and this picture of St. Basil's Cathedral and showed my mother, and she encouraged me to pursue it, and I did, and I went to Russia when I was 17 years old with 25 Girl Scouts, and I, I traced that back, you know, because this was not a resort <laughs> kind of trip. <laughs> there was no luxury. It was my first introduction to Turkish toilet. So I, you know, came back from that trip, and then I, you know, went to college, and and when I had the opportunity to go to um, the western United States in a, a Jeep safari with my friends, I said yes. And so off we took, and this was the late 70s. When you could drive around anywhere, you know, so we went to Arches National Monument, for instance, and drove through the back door and just camped wherever the hell we wanted. And, um, you know, we would cross over streams and camp in these remote places, and I loved it. So as I got older, I kept going to look for, you know, anytime an opportunity popped up, I would take it. So I moved to California when I was 21, and I eventually got a job with um, American Youth Hostels. And they had international trips in Europe. So I signed up to lead um, like two trips back to back. And so I would just stay there. I would fly to London and do you know a, a trip on a bike. And then I would go to Europe and meet up with somebody else and do another trip that's where I I met my husband actually in Europe. We've been together 31 years and we have two great kids. And, um, after my kids got a little older, um, I worked in a small private school where they attended here in Virginia beach. And one day I went to the head of school and asked if I could take students, high school students on a trip somewhere. And, the head of school thought it was a great idea. So I took him to South America. (laughs) And of course, you know, service is a great way to learn about culture. And that's something we did, was we did a service project in Peru. Um, But probably the most life-changing thing that happened on that trip was I met Vidal Hakewa. And so we struck up a business together and... You know, now here we are, um, you know, we have probably 10 or 20 groups a month um, that we work together on getting down there. And then he and I went to uh, Ecuador and Bolivia and Chile to meet with other small tour operators. So now we have a little network of people that, you know, we communicate with, we trust, and we collaborate with. So that's the nutshell version of the travel industry and my affiliation with it.
0: Jackie, I'm sure you've encountered all types of travelers in your tours, both young and old. Do you incorporate uh, accommodations for more elderly travelers?
3: Oh, yeah. We've had people in their 80s go to Machu Picchu.
0: Oh, my goodness. Um,
3: You know, yes, But, I I mean, going to Machu Picchu is not like going to Bolivia. And we know how to describe um, what people should expect as far as uh, walking around Machu Picchu. You know, there's a couple of different circuits to choose from. And um, we know that people who think they're um, fit uh, are usually not as fit as they think. So a lot of older people want to hike the One Day Inca Trail, which I hike a lot. Um, and it's quite doable for people our age, as long as you understand you know, some things about it. You have to carry a backpack, a small backpack.
1: Uh, you're about to be featured in a documentary film called Chasing an Inca Legend. I know there are some things you can't talk about, but g- give us some information about that.
3: Yes, in Bolivia is where I first came across um, a story um, that explained how the ancient civilizations could have carved um, these megalithic stones. I'm talking about the huge ones that are precision carved, that are placed right next to each other, and that are carved with multiple angles and sides. And so far, nobody has any tools or evidence of techniques. So you hear stuff all the time. there's legends, there's rumors. but I heard this in Bolivia about a technique that that um, I had never heard before. I mean, I've been going down there thirteen years, and I'd never heard of this. And I ran across somebody in Peru who immediately responded to me in this small village and wanted to take me and show me some things. and I was with a group so I couldn't you know just run away from them. so I um, stayed in touch and I went back a year later and validated, you know, what he was telling me which was the same thing I had heard in Bolivia. So now I'm really excited. It, the story is potentially big. It could change history. It could change, you know, what we know about science. I mean, there's little tidbits of so many elements in this story. It was just too much for me not to pursue. So one of my friends knew um, Roger Richards, the filmmaker in um, Norfolk, and he called me one day and talked to me about it and said he was interested in doing a documentary film on it. And so we went down there to check it out and we've been down there now um, two or three times filming. But you know, the thing is I go down there and. And in November I was there and we were looking for more clues because that's what we're doing with this um, Inca legend movie is we're still looking for things. And so the way the indigenous people are still using ancient techniques is very important to um, document and be part of the... The story because they're using this grass that grows in the mountains and the women know how to take that grass and kind of convert it into a a fiber that can be used for a bridge, which is strong enough for people to walk over. So now the movie is in editing and um, we've interviewed a few other people who can add some, you know, interesting Twists and turns without giving away everything. Um, so he's intending the movie to be ready later this year.
0: So Jackie, based on all your travels and experiences, what have you learned?
3: Oh, that's so. That's an important thing because not only has it changed my life professionally, but those experiences that I've had down there have changed me and my perspective on, you know, the world. You know, my friends that live down there, a lot of them live in mud brick homes that they built themselves, that they wired, you know, their own electricity. And then then when I come home, and of course my house, you know, is fully plumbed with, you know, all modern conveniences, temperature controlled, and um, hot water and electricity at the flip of a switch. I I am grateful for that, that I stop now and I pause and I think about, you know, the comfort that I have. The other thing it's done is that it's made me realize that I'm too comfortable. And I see a lot of older people especially kind of sinking into that level of comfort where they become soft and they become... I guess weak is one way to, you know, we become weaker. If you don't force yourself to um, exert, exert yourself or expose yourself or challenge yourself to things that are hard, you become weak and, and you just settle into this easy life. And, and once you lose your strength and your vigor, you know, next thing you know, you're sitting in a rocking chair looking out the window all darn day long. That's not me.
1: Uh, do you see a point in the future where you may be slowing down, or is this something you just want to do forever?
3: Oh, this is forever. <laughs>
1: so, Jackie, if somebody wanted to take an adventure travel with you folks, how would they get in touch with you?
3: Well, our website is the best place Um All emails, phone calls, and whatever from the website come to um, Heather and I here in Virginia.
0: So that website is?
3: Adios, A-D-I-O-S, AdventureTravel.com.
0: And the phone number?
3: 757-714-6649.
0: Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners.
1: All our episodes are available on our website, www.olddogspodcast.com. And there are a lot more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.